Hello and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing Small Changes Over Long Periods of Time by Kellen Spara, What We Do in the Shadows, and Pro Bono by Astronicht. And welcome to episode 72. Thanks for the memories. I'm Alex and I'm the wooden steaks one. I'm Freya and I'm the serving garlic canapes one. I'm Macy and I am Flames. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today I really am going to have to insist nope. that both of nope. you pronounce it as vampire nope. uh, <laughs> rather than vampire. So uh, I am deciding this is what is going to happen. If you don't do it, I will report you to uh, the Council of Podcasts and they will put you on trial for your crimes. Uh, Good anyway, luck with that. Before we get into all of that, what are we reading, fellow serpents? <laughs> I read another Australian thriller by Benjamin Stevenson. This is Either Side of Midnight. And I really enjoyed Benjamin Stevenson's first book, so I picked up this one as soon as it came out. I don't read a lot of thrillers, but there is something about the fact that this one is very Australian. <laughs> it's entirely baked in, lots of it set in a small Australian seaside town that is hauntingly familiar to anyone who has spent time in such a seaside town. And this one is about a disgraced podcaster <laughs> who is hired to investigate the... Yes, I know. Haha. Question! <laughs> Did this podcaster refuse to say Pierre? <laughs> yes, he was reported to the Council of Podcasters and now is forced to be working as an investigative private private eye. Hold on, hold on. I'm still wrapping my brain about, around the idea of disgraced podcaster because by the very act of starting a podcast, are you not disgracing yourself? Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, so this, this person was the protagonist of the first thriller, uh, Greenlight, and he was a crime investigating podcaster, uh... like serial. And he was disgraced and sent to jail at the end of the first book because he tampered with evidence to make a better narrative. Mm. So mm. that kind of disgrace, nothing to do with the pronunciation of vampire <laughs> versus vampire. Anyway, the premise of the book is that a TV show host kills himself on camera and this podcaster is hired by his twin brother who thinks he was murdered. Huh. Anyway, excellent thriller. I recommend cool. it. I also read The Mermaid, The Witch, and The Sea by Maggie Takuda Hall, which I think is being marketed as YA. It's certainly read as YA to me, although it covers some pretty dark themes. This is a fantasy story with an, a romance between a young noblewoman who is sent off by her parents on a boat to marry someone she's never met on some islands on the other side of the ocean. That's very you! And a young girl who disguises herself as a boy in order to join a pirate ship with her brother and the pirate ship takes over the ship that this young woman is on and things develop from there. There's a lot of really interesting magical world building, creepy mermaids. I really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a good mixture of romance and adventure and it's got a very queer norm world with a lot of um, queer people, a lot of non-binary characters, including the head pirate who is called the Pirate Supreme. Amazing. Mm. That, very title. good. That does sound like an ice cream. Yeah. Sorry? It sounds like an ice cream. A Pirate Supreme? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. That's yep. like the type of sundae uh, that comes in a dish that's bigger than your head. 
And it's shaped like a pirate boat. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Cool. Thank you. Thematically, completely not in keeping with the book itself, but if, if it helps you to imagine today, Freya, can you giant see how ice much cream. We're helping. We had sure. a whole conversation before we started recording about how none of us have like a competent attention span. We are all so. dug from up this episode. It's going to be great. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes. All right. We're doing our best. In the absence of further squirrels, I'm going to talk about the last okay. book that I have read. Which is The Fairy Hounds of York by Arden Powell. I think I mentioned this to you two in chat. Yes, you did. I would describe it as a bittersweet romance. Mm. So it does have a happy-ish ending, but it's not a traditional happy ending. And it's a MM historical romance with a lot of very creepy fairy magic in it. Correct. Uh, it's quite quiet, like it's very focused on these two main characters with a few other secondary characters and a lot to do with the darker side of changelings and the fairy hounds, which is you can hear them baying, but if you set eyes on them, then you'll die in three days. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Macy's making a face. Macy, <laughs> you will enjoy this Macy book. Macy is making the like colon D. It's all set on the Yorkshire Moors. It's a very Macy kind well, of story. Well, I believe that you pitched this to me purely on the basis of it has your Moorlands in it. Mm. I believe it does. Macy's Moors. Yes, if you get a chapter into it and throw it across the room and say, wrong Moorland, <laughs> then I apologize. But. <laughs> uh. I am very impressed because nobody nobody goes to Yorkshire in books. That's not quite mm. true. Yeah, this is a, it's a very it's a very Yorkshire flavored yes. book. Anyway, Macy. So I have yes read some books this week, which is uh, impressive given that I do not have a brain. Um, I have read The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones, which is a horror novel about elk vengeance. Uh, mm. <laughs> specifically, <Okay>. elk <laughs> vengeance against a group of four good-for-nothing young Indian men who have now grown up and left the reservation and lived their lives, uh, but the elk is not content with that because they won't get away with it. The elk knows the what elk they did last knows. summer. Um, it's great. It's really good. And it does some fun stuff with perspective and point of view. And I had a great time. Um, but it is a horror novel. So, you know, gore. Trigger warning for the things. For being gored by an elk? Among other things that happen in this book. <laughs> Trigger warning for many things. Uh, but elk. Um, also, I have been... I'm partway through Queen of Coin and Whispers by Helen Corcoran, which is a young adult kind of palace intrigue with lesbians... And a young, untried queen who is trying to figure out how to plan her own marriage and deal with spy bullshit while her chief counsellor kind of wants to undermine her. So that's very, very fun. Um, I've also been reading a ton of Naruto long fic and Scum Villain long fic, uh, particularly An Easy Lie by Nifik, which is an under-progress, under-progress, in-progress long fic about the main canonical scum villain of the scum villain self-saving system um, being transmigrated into by somebody else. So that's super fun. Cool. So, okay, first of all, don't judge me. Um, I've had a weird, anxious couple weeks and I needed to turn my brain off. So I watched like a really <laughs> atrocious amount of Say Yes to the Dress. 
which if you're not familiar with reality tv show in america is a show where brides go into a bridal store and attempt to find the perfect dress and you know what's great about it is that their only problem is like finding a dress that looks nice on them and the only obstacles that they have to overcome are their family's approval <laughs> and guess what they always do <laughs> And so it's just very, like, oh, look, here's this world where, like, problems are not very complicated and, like, we can solve our issues by, like, compromising and, like, loving each other and whatever. It's very actually positive and nice. I enjoy it. That sounds fine. I'm not <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. Uh, and then I started, like, branching out into, like, the British version of Say Yes to the Dress and the Indian version of <laughs> oh, Say gosh. Yes to the Dress, which is fantastic. Uh, and there's also a version for uh, called, like, the Curvy Brides Boutique, which is about, like, fat women looking for, for bridal dresses. And that's, like, making me cry on a regular basis. Anyway, body positivity. We love it. Yes. I also read Holding the Line, A Guide to Defending Democracy, uh, which you can find uh, online at choosedemocracy.us slash prepare. It is a, an essay about how to prevent or uh, resist a coup in the United States, should one happen within should the next no month or so. no reason that we might be wanting to read this right now? Right, exactly. On which subject, dear listeners, please fucking go vote if you live in America. My God, I will be so disappointed in you if you don't go vote. It will be the 21st of October when this yep. comes out, so you have, like, two more weeks to go fucking vote. Vote early, vote often. Well, don't vote often. <laughs> don't w vote more than once in an election, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway. Provided um, that it is appropriate for you to vote, please do so in the time and place that is best for you. Macy yes. always says things in the smart way that I mean, It is illegal for me yes. to vote. Please vote for me. Yes. Uh, <laughs> don't do I crime, started... children. <laughs> I also started a brand new C-drama called Love is More Than Word, which is a MM romance about, it's a historical uh, drama, and it is about the dumbest boy <laughs> you have ever met who gets assigned to a local magisterial position where he's like oh, no. the local judge and oh, he no. has to hear cases. And he's like a pure Hufflepuff. And, like, sweet and innocent. And, like, he's surrounded by all these conniving, like, slimy Slytherin types. And, like, he's so dumb <laughs> that they're all, like, oh, he must actually be faking it and is actually, like, a super genius. So he's, like, the inverse Nihoi Sang? Yes. <laughs> yes, essentially. Amazing. Um, and apparently there's, like, a canonical gay wedding at the end of it, um, which looks very cute. Uh, and also my fanfic rec for this week is For a Good Time Call by Scarlet Storm, which is the most perfect sex worker AU that I have ever read. Um, it is uh, for the Untamed, and uh, Wei Wishan has an OnlyFans account, and Lan Wenji accidentally discovers it, and then feelings happen. Um, and it's much more about, like, emotional processing and, like, like it's a very long, slow burn kind of, like, go to therapy, do your work <laughs> on yourself, like, grow as an independent person before you, like, try to have a relationship with someone. Um, so highly recommend there. And then also some news. Yes. Uh, Macy, would you like to do your news first? The last podcast that I recorded was <gasps> not The Serpent Cast. I have betrayed We're being you. Cheated upon. <laughs> I didn't betray you when I went off and started another podcast. You are totally welcome to go do other but podcasts. Back. I did come back. I never away. left I'm you. In fact, Hillary, Alex, I'm running away. I didn't want to. 
break it to you. I didn't know how to say it. Hillary's uh, no, a good sweet um, person. Eh, eh, eh. Go in on. service of having less nonsense, um, I am going to be the Halloween guest on Hillary Bissonnier's Tales from the Trunk. Mm. So slope on over there if you want to hear a 15-minute excerpt from my unpublished, unpublishable young adult book, Hagstone. And all sorts of nonsense that Hillary and I discuss. Nice. Um, it's spooky and fun. Nice, cool. nice. Uh, this episode, as we mentioned, comes out on October 1st, which is several, several, several weeks in our future. Um, it's the end of September 21st. now. But for 21st? What? You said October 1st. October 21st is what I meant to say. Um, so, dear listeners, for you, in your past, in my future, uh, my new book, Finding Fairies, will have come out just yesterday. Um, it is an urban fantasy field guide to finding supernatural creatures in the modern world, with a particular emphasis on climate change and the effects of other human factors, uh, like immigration and so forth. So, if that sounds like your jam, go check it out and tell a friend. Before we go on, we wanted to add a quick note. In the previous episode, we discussed A Deadly Education. The edition we read contains some racist representation, especially around a stereotype that relates to black hair. Many of our listeners were hurt by our failure to recognize those, and they were further hurt when we failed to acknowledge it out loud. In our attempt to keep the issue quote-unquote backstage, where we could do the work on ourselves in private, we gave the impression that we were rejecting those people who were reaching out in good faith. We're really sorry for that, and we truly can't apologize enough. If you would like more information on these topics, please check the show notes or the transcript documents for links to some commentaries on a deadly education. We would also like to take this opportunity to uplift the voices of people of color, especially those fellow creators and podcasters who are doing the work to discuss complex and thorny issues of representation. In particular, I recommend Nisi Shaw and Tempest Bradford's class and book, Writing the Other. Uh, it's a really powerful resource, not only for understanding their perspective, but also for kind of developing the tools to combat assumptions and stereotypes as you write and live, really. Uh, they're amazing teachers mm. and authors. Yes, definitely. Um, Tempest in particular, I follow her on Twitter and she is absolutely brilliant. Uh, I love all of her work. Um, I also would recommend a couple podcasts, uh, one of which is Asians Represent, which is a show hosted by two Asian hosts, uh, which it talks about uh, Asian creators in the gaming industry and also mm. deconstructing Asian tropes and stereotypes mm. in gaming. Um, it actually won the Gold Ernie Award cool. for the best podcast this year, which is a, a big award given out at Gen Con. So highly recommend that. Um, and also, because I love fiction podcasts so much, <laughs> I couldn't let you go without a fiction podcast uh, recommendation. Um, one of my favorites is Flyest Fables, uh, which is by Morgan Givens, a black trans man. It is super sweet. It's very hope punk. Um, and it's also kid-friendly, so check that out. And I am not a fiction podcast person, but I am very much a writing craft podcast person. Mm -hmm. And I would like to recommend for both writing craft and publishing industry stuff, the podcast Deadline City by Danielle mm -hmm. Clayton and Zoraida Cordova. Mm. And in addition to those, there's dozens and hundreds more wonderful podcasts and creators who are addressing these issues. So we really hope that you check some of them out. Once again, we would like to apologize for screwing it up and also for how long it's taken to start the process of screwing it down. Is that a thing? What's the opposite of screwing it up? Tightening screws? 
jokes aside, we really hope that this can be a small step towards making it right. For now, we're going to return you to the rest of the episode. Thank you for listening and for all your support. And now we shall have an episode. Gosh, 15 minutes in. We've well, got, we're good at this. Sometimes it happens. It do, it do <laughs> it be. It sure do be. So, darling listeners, welcome to Vampires. Vampire, Macy. <laughs> yeah. Not going to do it. So, darling, listen. This is going to turn into the end of Sleeping Beauty, isn't it? It's just you two going to be like, pink dress, pink dress, pink dress, blue dress, Freya, pies, pies. Darling Freya, yes. whose side are you on? Because I think you're I on my side. Bigger side. I'm going to side. I'm going to be vampiric for Switzerland in this debate. Okay. Well, yeah, but you just said vampiric, so yeah, instead of vampiric. Yes. <laughs> did, did you notice what I did there? I said vampiric, where it is pronounced ear, but I am actually going to say vampire uh, throughout. It's fine. I was Freya, compromising. Freya, you can just burn it all down, and then you'll have a <clears throat> vampiric victory. Uh, that was a good one. That was a very good one. Pause for pun. <laughs> pun. Thank you. But no, Alex. I'm sorry. I'm going to say vampire all the way through. You may report us to whichever governing body you I'm wish. I'm being persecuted. Macy, Macy tell Macy, us about let's the first have a tent pole. Um, <laughs> we love us a tent pole. I am going to talk us through our first and funniest tent pole. I don't think anyone will argue me on that. Um, Alex, meanwhile, is going to wave their cat's fangs at us. Just, you know, for added delay factor in this excruciatingly delayed episode. Alex's cat could be a vampire that has Alex's successfully transformed into a small dark object. I can object. speak from experience. Alex's, Alex's cat wants my blood. Yeah, it's true. Be- Alex's cat is a violent misogynist. It's fine. But she, she does respect gender identity. She so. does. She does. She's, she is a violent misogynist, but she does respect gender identity. We love that for her. Um, anyway, continue. She is a vampire also. You're telling us about what we do in the shadows by the amazing Taika Waititi, Macy. <laughs> I was attempting to, yes, but then a cat happened. And as aforementioned, we are all dug from up. Well, um, stop looking at the cat, Alex. I can't. She keeps like butting her head against me. <laughs> this episode is a disaster. Macy, just go, just go. Please, someone take this podcast away from us. Um, Okay. What We Do in the Shadows is a hilarious vampire movie set in New Zealand. Is it Wellington? I think it's in a city in New Zealand, which has cities. I can't remember. I think it's either Wellington or Auckland, but I can't remember um, which. And one of the things I really loved about this movie, which is a documentary by the New Zealand Tourist Board, which I don't know if that's true or not, but I would believe it because New Zealand probably has that kind of sense of humour, mm. um, from the same people who did Flight of the Concords. So it's hilarious. Um, it's a documentary about a flat share, which Americans would call roommates, um, with four vampires who all live together in a house and attempt to deal with modern life the best they can with lots of hissing and bat fights. Mm-hmm. Uh- <laughs> See, I would argue that of all the vampires that we're talking about in this episode, these vampires in particular are the most vampire. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> like there's a difference. Wrong. They're very camp. They're not gay, but they're camp. There's a difference between a mm. vampire and a vampire. And these are the latter. <laughs> Go ahead. One of the things I really love about what we do in the shadows, and we are talking about the movie, not the recent TV adaptation, mm-hmm. um, is how metatextual it is. It has 
all sorts of it has about three or four different kinds of vampires uh, yeah there's one like really old vampire who looks kind of like lord voldemort mm-hmm. um and then there's the dandy and then there's the count dracula type and then there's the modern frat bro who got turned by accident mm-hmm. and there's like the 80s punk rocker kind of yeah, and yeah. it's deeply unclear whether they all work the same way and have the same powers. Um, mm, and then when and then when you get to a larger gathering of vampires later on in the movie, you see that there's even more variety into the in the vampire community. And I think the TV show digs into that a lot more. I haven't watched mm. it, but it's about very much about the breadth of experience. But it's so funny because it just breaks it down to the sort of petty bullshit that you expect to see on like Big Brother or something, mm-hmm. except they're vampires. So sometimes rather than getting into a slap fight and pulling each other's hair, they will fly across the room and start slapping each other in midair, upside down. But it's exactly as undignified as it would have been otherwise. And I love it. It's so good. And they're like, they are are doing this thing where like, they're performing for the camera, except like they're actors. So they're also like performing for the camera. They're doing this great performance of like people who are awkward and uncomfortable and deeply aware of the camera at all times, which is really funny. And there are also werewolves, not swearwolves. Not swearwolves. Um, in one of the movie's funniest lines, um, because vampires and werewolves uh, kind of go together, which we might get into more later, but I think we talked about that on the Monsters episode as well. Yeah. Right? We could like, do mm. an episode sometime about like like famous fantasy rivalries like vampires versus werewolves and elves versus dwarves and maybe a third one for a third tentpole what i liked about this movie is that you do get a lot of the things that are explored quite seriously Mm. in vampire fiction this idea of being frozen forever in the period in which you were turned versus becoming uh, someone who's trying very hard to adapt to the changing world but it doesn't take it at all seriously And you're right in that the humor arises from a framing device that gives you people who are attempting to present themselves as a certain type of narrative to make themselves seem like they're just like you and me, only we're vampires. (laughs) And while being deeply, deeply not like you and me, but also awkward in a very relatable way. And the layers of (laughs) the ways in which they are and are not relatable people is where the humor comes from. Yeah, Taika Waititi is so good at that, you know? Oh, yes, so good. yes, he is, and I'm and and if you contrast that against something like the Vampire Lestat, <laughs> we do the, the book by Anne Rice, <laughs> in which Lestat's entire thing is "I'm better than you." The end. Mm. I'm a I'm a rock star. I have adapted to life, Our but I'm also skin. better than you in every way. I have perfect skin. And I'm about to have a 350 locks. page bitch fight with my boyfriend because I didn't like the way he told it. <clears throat> the other source uh. of humor in this movie is the way in which it averts certain tropes or lampshades certain tropes. Mm. Um, I particularly am thinking of like the vampire longs for a mortal woman and he has been in love with her for like 80 years and he fell in love with her when she was like 23 and now she's like 90 um and he's still madly in love with her and there's the most the funniest joke of the movie for me is right at the end when he and the old old lady visibly like old are sitting there holding each other's hands and he's like you know some people might have weird feelings about the the age difference they might be wondering like what's this 90 year old woman doing with a man four times her age <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and, and I do, you're right that they and that theory deliberately subverts the idea of vampirism as turning you when you are in your prime. Mm-hmm. Right. That you you get turned when you're young and beautiful, and then you are young and beautiful forever. Whereas he agrees to turn the love of his life when she is in her nineties, and she's going to be in her nineties now forever. Right. And he literally sees absolutely nothing out of the ordinary. No, because he loves her this. and he wants to yeah. be with yeah. her and wants to give her the opportunity for immortal life if she wants it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't matter that she had another life in between when he was in love with her when she was young and now, because he still loves her. But we should talk a little bit about being turned in one's prime versus turned by accident, perhaps, with the next mm-hmm. tentpole. Yes. So the next tentpole is a short story called Small Changes Over Long Periods of Time by K.M. Spara, which was published in Uncanny Magazine online, so you can read it and we will put a link, obviously. This is the story of a gay trans man called Finley, who is accidentally turned into a vampire by a vampire called Andreas. And the story follows him in the early days of his vampiric transformation, where Finley has to navigate the changes of his physiology in becoming a vampire and the unexpected ways in which that interacts with the physiology of being a trans person Mm -hmm. and on medical treatment for that. And so it has some very clever things to say about the ways in which people who are different and people who are transitioning in various Mm -hmm. ways are treated by the world and by the medical profession, even though the world building in this is that vampires are not secret. They're something that's known, but there is a lot of legislation and white tape and bureaucracy around who is allowed to turn people and who's allowed to be turned. Mm -hmm. And they run into that in the story. It's very clever. It's very funny. It's got a lot of sort of sly, tongue-in-cheek jokes about navigating the world when you're different mm-hmm. and the world is not set up for the ways in which you are different. Right. Like it's a great story. Like the doctor who is good with you about trans issues may not understand vampire issues. Surprise. Right. Hmm. Yeah, like some really cutting stuff about like the medical industry, I guess you could <laughs> call it, and like how they are... Like, you being trans means that you're not allowed to be a vampire because we don't know how that's going to, like, react. And, like, okay, well, someone has to be the first. It reminded me of a lot of stuff about, like, the difficulty of medically testing on women who are or might be pregnant and how Mm -hmm. a lot of drugs then end up not being tested at all on women of bearing age, which is some peak bullshit, because, surprise, there's a lot of uterus owners who are of between 18 and 40. Ah! Mm. And... And this story really digs into the ideas of if you are in the process of constantly changing your body, then if your body is then transformed into what is meant to be, in quotes, its ideal (laughs) state, and it keeps on trying to transform back, what do you do? In this case, Finley has to drink blood that has had testosterone added to it because the vampire body keeps trying to get rid of the testosterone and processes it a lot faster. like, what blueprint is the body using? Right. Yeah, and he has this thought where he thinks, well, on the one hand, you know, I get a better version of some of the things I was trying to achieve. You know, his facial hair is a lot thicker. Uh, In some ways, he is quite happy with the changes to the body. But on the other hand, he thinks, well, now I'm going to live forever and my body cannot change any further from where it is now. And what if in the future they come up with different ways for trans people to be able to uh, change their bodies into something that they can live with more easily? I will never be able to take advantage Mm. of that, which is not something that you often think of when you're thinking about, oh, immortality. Yeah, right. 
Yeah. And I think that it also dug a little bit into, which the first definitely didn't, the sexual side of being a vampire and the mm-hmm. way that vampires are sexualized and that the bite is a metaphor for mm. sex in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like the whole concept of vampire stories is all about the various relationships that we have with bodies. Um, mm-hmm. And like sex is a huge part of that. And I loved where um, Kellen Sparrow took with took this story with like, like the relationship that trans people um, and other gender nonconforming people have with their bodies is like such an interesting thing to explore through the lens of, of vampires. And that's amazing. I would love to see mm-hmm. like other people who have that really self-reflective relationship with their bodies like disabled people um approach vampire stories as well that would be fascinating it's back to the thing where um we get told you know oh this story is done that story is done there's too many vampire stories um it's only not until everyone gets a shot at it right not until we have different perspectives and i think this is a great example Mm. of of how a different perspective can make oh no i was at a nightclub and i got turned by a sexy vampire We've never heard that before, but this is fascinating and it's mm-hmm. a different viewpoint. Um, and I'm really glad mm. the story exists. Yep. And there's an, an there's an anthology that I think just came out mm-hmm. called Vampires Never Grow Old, which is, or Never Get Old, which I think is a great pun for a title, uh, which is digging into that idea that the vampire stories have not all mm-hmm. been told and there is still something compelling about the vampire narrative, especially when you are coming at at it from the perspective of a marginalised experience. Mm. Yes, I haven't yes, read yes. any of the stories, but I've heard a bit about some of them and they sound really good. And also that there's a bunch of different ways to be a vampire. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. Which takes us to our third tentpole, uh, Who Says the River is Wide by Astronect, which is a, our fan fiction tentpole, and it is an untamed fanfic um, about... Okay, so this is weird. <laughs> Hear me out. <laughs> Basically, the author needed to come up with a reason for Lan Wanji to be a European vampire rather than the Chinese kind of vampire. Um, and so there is a pretty cool solution for why Lan Wenji and Wei Wushan independently find themselves in Renaissance Italy. Um, and, like, they meet for the first time there because Wei Wushan is, like, doing some kind of Renaissance scholar stuff and, like, breaking into hospitals illegal so that he can... Illegal corpse dissection. <laughs> illegal corpse yes. dissection, like oh, you the do. the corpse goes ow. Right. And, like, oh, the corpse goes ow and suddenly you have a vampire boyfriend. That's how it happens. <laughs> Um, We've all been there. And there's this wonderful line about like Lan Wenji uh, realizing like, oh, I'm a European vampire. Uncle is going to be so disappointed. <laughs> my which knees impl- can bend. My knees can bend, which what was, wasn't was explained in the fic, so I will explain it for you. The Chinese kind of vampire is called the Jiangxi. And um, they're kind of a, they're also called hopping zombies. Um, it's sort of like ha- like kind of halfway between a, a vampire and a zombie, and they're corpses that hop because their legs don't bend. <laughs> it's Wait, good stuff. How you can hop if your knees don't bend is beyond me. Are you telekinesising? What is you're this? using your ankles? You're using your ankles that's more than how, than your knees. That's not how springing. You can't exert you know force what? without using muscles, and those don't work without the leverage of the 
joints of the... Anyway, I'll stop saying It's not so much to words. do with that. It's to do with the fact that you have to shorten the muscle then to make it spring back. Anyway, anyway um, <laughs> let's just move on. But, I mean, speaking... Speaking of that, this 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 pic does do some incredibly detailed and hilarious anatomy <laughs> stuff. Yes, in that the first the first pic is a two pic series, and the first one is an extended negotiation yeah. as where? to where Wei Xian, who is extremely turned on by this entire process and desperately trying not to make it weird, but it's getting but weird. Don't kill me, that's uh, my artery. <laughs> he's trying to explain from his knowledge of doing, you know, these dissections, where his arteries versus his veins are, and therefore where Lan Wangji is allowed to bite him <laughs> without killing him, right. which was extremely Not funny. there because there's a rib underneath and you'll hurt your fangs. Yep, yep. <laughs> not there, I will yes. be dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, and then the entire second story is about vampire physiology, in, in quotation marks, mm-hmm. and the idea that if you have fed recently and thoroughly <laughs> you may then end up with a boner that won't go down Viagra, which to me is extremely yes. funny okay so medical treatment of priapism yes. corner yes, dr freya's <laughs> fun facts corner Freya, what does priapism mean? fun facts corner so what sorry? does priapism mean please priapism named for the god priapus is the medical term for having an erection that will not go Never down ending boner which can be a side effect of using medications like Viagra. And the reason it happens is because an erection occurs when a lot of blood goes into the connective tissue in a penis. And it does that by going in via the arteries. Now, arteries are a lot thicker and more muscular than veins because arteries have to pump the blood out. Veins are just a return system to get the blood back in, back to the center of the body and back to the heart. Once you have enough pressure building up in the arterial system, it actually then squishes the veins flat within the penis because it can't go anywhere because there's only so much connective tissue. And once that happens, you can't get any venous return. So the blood just gets stuck. And that is what's known as priapism. It is extremely painful. It is a medical emergency. One of the questions in my specialist exams was a case study of how would you treat an emergency presentation of priapism? And there are various things that you can actually do. Oh, yes. Thank you, Macy. He's holding up an ex- incredibly inappropriate item with which to treat it. <laughs> Is it a pencil? Do... <laughs> oh, scissors. It's scissors. Giant scissors. <laughs> oh, God. The implications. Uh, no. No, I would not recommend giant crafting scissors. But one of the treatments is to use a syringe to try and relieve the pressure. <laughs> I will put the scissors away and allow Freya to continue. <laughs> yeah, Macy's solution is just lop it off. Apparently. I want to apologize to all of our penis-having listeners. <laughs> we love you. Uh, anyway, the reason that I found this extremely funny as a vampire physiology side effect is because there had been a joke that a vampire is a good way to solve priapism Amazing. because the way you get just rid of a boner is to suck some of the blood yeah, out. just bite them on the dick. It's fine. Yeah. In the Anne Rice vampires, weren't they <laughs> just like always have, like, didn't they just have like permanent boners? Or am I misremembering? I, I don't remember. I, I feel like, like I would that would have stuck that. in my mind if that was if that was part of it. That might be something you made up, Alex. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, they're Rice... described as like marble. Yeah, like their whole like, body you know, gets like hard and, and yeah. 
I don't know. It seems like a weird Anne Rice thing that she might do. She that's, got that's up fair. to a like, lot of Like, I wouldn't put stuff. it past her. Like, if, yeah. if you if you showed me a passage, I would just go, oh, Anne Rice. You know, I wouldn't be shocked. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, th- these particular temples are very much on the this is a sex thing side of vampires and biting and blood. But you get the sense that, again, there's a lot of cultural differences in it. And Lam Wanji is just really happy that he appears to have been stuck with a boyfriend who's really into vampires and is quite happy to just do it with a vampire forever. And Lam Wanji's like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> that nice? <laughs> I'm so glad that Wei Ying is so accommodating of my weird vampirism. And meanwhile, Wei Ying is going full monster fucker. Yeah. Oh yeah, completely. He's best like, life. Deeply into it. Deeply into all of it. <sighs> but we should probably continue and discuss the visceral embodiment of being and vampire. Could have said vampire there just for me. I could have. Anyway. <laughs> the visceral embodiment of being and vampire. So we brought up Anne Rice a little bit already. Should we continue talking a little bit about Anne Rice? Of I feel like she's... I mean, she was very, very formative in a lot of people of our generation. Yeah, she was my formative vampire I- experience. Of, of vampire fiction. Oh, yeah. 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 I read Interview with the Vampire during one of the major hurricanes of 2014, and the power went out in my house. So I read it in my living room under the table uh, by the light of a kerosene lamp, and it was absolutely perfect. And yep. then I went over, wow. and then the very next day, the the uh, yard was flooded up to almost my knees, and I waded over to my friend's house, who I had borrowed the book from, so that I could get the second book from her. <laughs> See, I read I read the Vampire stat first. Yes, me too. And I, I so I hadn't hadn't read Interview with the Vampire, but I read the Vampire stat nearly cover to cover on an international flight from Australia to somewhere in mm. Europe, which was again an interesting reading experience. How old were you? Probably 16. Yeah. I was about 14, 15. I was about 14. Yep. Yeah. So Which 2004, I think is... not 2014 then. Yeah. Did I say 2014? Uh, yes. I was like, Alex, I think you were younger than that. I was. Yeah. I'm sorry. Your <laughs> listeners, like, I'm all over the place time? today. What I did time? mean 2004. But I think um, that Anne Rice has a particular love for that very, like, she likes doing things with the bodies of her vampires. Let's put it that way. She does. And it's often quite explicit in not in the sense of like sexual, but explicit in the sense of like detailed. And she mm. she cares a lot about the details of like how the body changes and becomes more perfect. Um, which I think looking at it from a modern day perspective obviously like has a lot of problematic elements to it. Uh, because I have a recollection also that one of the non-white people who got changed, like their pale. skin sort of got pale, which is not good. Not not great. But not it's also good. The, the, the vampire is the anxiety about aging. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Very lots much. of burying people alive, which is a, another perennial favorite with vampires. Yeah, but she also, like, the next dot point here is about the eroticism of the bite, which I think that she actually does a really great job of describing because it seems like it's erotic not just for the person being bitten, but also a deeply erotic experience for the vampire themselves, at least from what I recall. Yeah, I mean, she wrote these deeply homoerotic (laughs) 
books in which the uh, the experience of the bite was an incredibly thinly veiled metaphor for mm-hmm. sex. Yep, yep, la petite mort. And then just ran away with it and then got pissed when people wrote fan fiction about it. The whole re- <gasps> Dear listeners, here's a bit of fandom history. The whole reason that people used to put disclaimers on their fan fiction was because Van Rice. Anne Rice and- would go sue you. Anne Rice would like, if you wrote Anne Rice fan fiction, she would come along with her lawyers and you would get a cease and desist letter. And if you didn't cease and desist, then she would take you to court. And that's why people had to start putting disclaimers on their fanfic. But I mean, I think even back mm. to Dracula, there were elements of that, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think, yes, it was. And that was more, that was about, you know, a pr- predation fear versus mm-hmm. the inherent eroticism of you know, young woman in a nightgown. Say the word nubile, you know, Fred. Pa- Nubile, older, powerful man, etc., etc. Uh, and I think the Dracula story itself is really where a lot of the modern day mythology about what kills a vampire and what powers mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. have comes from. And like you can basically just pick and choose from this amazing <laughs> buffet of powers. Do you want them to turn, turn into a mist? Yes. Do you want them to turn into 12 bats in a trench coat? Do you want them <laughs> to be able to control people's minds? Do you want them to be able to see it in mirrors, go in sunlight, killed by garlic? Like. <laughs> There's just so many different ways you can play with it. I love it. I want all of them. The the uh, killed by a cross, held by someone of the faith. Yes. And I think my, my favorite vampire novel of all time is Carpe Jugulum yeah. mm-hmm. by Terry Pratchett, which is one of the witches' Discworld novels. And it plays a lot with some of the class stuff, which I think we'll talk about mm-hmm. later, but especially with this idea of there's so much out there in the narrative of what vampires can do and what can kill mm-hmm. them. And it's about a family of vampires where the patriarch has been trying to train his children to not react to holy yeah. symbols by like leaping out with <laughs> flashcards of them all through their life as exposure therapy. Uh, and one of the main characters is a priest who is attempting to you know, act in the same town where the vampires are. And, and so it's got a lot to say about the ideas in which you conceive of a holy symbol mm-hmm. and when it can be used as a weapon and when it can't. And, you know, witches running around serving garlic canapes <laughs> in attempts to root out the vampires at a wedding reception. Ah, oh, Terry Pratchett. Oh, Terry so good. He's so good. Uh, but I wanted to talk a little bit about um, my next bullet point, um, which is a gif. <laughs> because I love my fellow serpents very much. Dear listeners, here's what Macy has done for us. Macy has put in a dot point, Lady Vampires, under which there is a gif of, what's his name from that? John Travolta. John Travolta from, what is that, uh, Pulp Fiction? Pulp Fiction. Yeah, and he's doing these sort of like shrugging and looking around in, in perplexity. <laughs> Um, I can't believe I had to describe the fucking <laughs> gift to you, dear listeners. I was just saying, like, gifts in our planning document is a new low. <laughs> because with dot points, we can expa- expand upon them. But with this, we just have to turn into alt text for our own document. Which, which so the scribes will then have to transcribe. <laughs> scribes, if you find this gift and insert it into our document, we will be very ah. pleased. Thank you. Thank you, scribes. No, we will not link you to the gift from our Oh, dot points. You have to find it based on the description. Oh, the chaos! <laughs> our Halloween gift to you, dear listeners, it's dear our scribes. Gift to you. Anyway, the point that Macy was making, I believe, is that there is a relative lack a in the a paucity of lady vampires in the greater vampire mythos. Also, in our tent poles, but yeah, um, in general, I think it's uh, pretty tangled up, right? Um, what do we allow women 
to be as main characters in power, right? I mean, look, there's also a very clear penetration metaphor going on. I'm just yeah. saying that doesn't make it less interesting for it to be female. Yeah. Oh, no, exactly. <laughs> I think that's sort of where it was. It's why it's more interesting to now let the women be the ones with that power. Right. No, there's definitely a lack of female vampires because we're terrified of women having power. And especially we're terrified of women having such sexualized power. Um, which also me means that the va the lady vampires that we do have are either, one, children, or they are, like, highly hypersexualized, mm. like, women who are often performing lesbianism for the male gaze, you know, in that particular way. I'm thinking of Van Helsing, and I'm thinking about how those lady vampires mm. were, like, all yeah. over each other, but not in a gay the way. The wives, yeah. Like, the like wives. it wasn't don't because... don't named, do they? No, they, they weren't. Maybe one of them had a name. I don't remember. Um, but, like, they're kind of, like, falling all over each other, but not because they're gay. Like, it's not a queer thing. It's, it's not like a for them. It's not for them. It's for the male audience. But I'm just saying, like, when you have historical figures like Elizabeth Bathory, yeah. you have no excuse, because she basically was a vampire, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's bathing, bathing in the blood, in the of, blood of my virgin servants. This is fine. <laughs> but yeah, no, children, yeah. child vampires like Claudia, because we were talking mm -hmm. a lot about Anne Rice. Like, why do we get two dudes who can basically be happily married forever and then make a weird, creepy child vampire who's going to be deeply fucked up? It's very weird. That's the only it's lady? just a very weird series all around. Anne Rice is very weird. Yeah, I mean, que Queen of the Damned. Mm -hmm. True. I think, you know, actually allows us to have a central female. Yeah vampire figure who's got more power but yes the initial setup and every, everything to do with claudia is just really really fucked yeah. up there were also there were also a bunch of lady vampires in buffy um yes. but that's i they were kind of like all crazy bitches like there was drusilla and there was um daria i think was the older one the one who darla, darla that's the one and so like like that's more of a joss whedon problem rather than a lady vampires problem uh, that's a river song yeah. not river song river Firefly. river tam river there tam from firefly yeah yeah um, joss whedon has a type yeah yeah exactly um and then uh true blood had actually like several really cool lady vampires who were <gasps> who were sexual but not overly sexualized and who like mm. embraced power in different ways well i think that that's because things like true blood and the vampire diaries were adapted from modern day urban fantasy mm. and i think modern day urban fantasy series take the vampire thing in a whole different direction which then allows women to have agency and be vampires in a not necessarily this is performing for the men mm -hmm. kind of way because the majority of the reading audience is female right of, of like the Sookie Stackhouse books yeah. uh, especially and I'm assuming the Vampire Diaries books which I haven't read but I think they're a YA yes they're series? YA and mm. the main character mm. is it's it's her diary right yeah and Twilight, of course, because and Twilight, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, interesting because all of those have a central character who's female, who's human, mm -hmm. at least to begin with, right. uh, and she is surrounded by vampires. Well, I think that's a lot of it's a power up fantasy, you know. It's 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 the Goku from Dragon Ball gaining powers and seducing yeah. more people to be in love with mm. them. I mean, right? also it starts off as the what we talked about when we talked about the monster fucking thing. 
of a mm. all-powerful being mm-hmm. being in love with little old normal me, but then it turns into right. gaining power in order to reach a level of equality so that you can be with that person forever. And I think that we do see um, a lot of vampire fiction these days, at least, in urban fantasy rather than anywhere else. And I was trying to figure out, because I am probably the one of us who reads the least vampire stuff. I looked on my shelves. I don't have any vampire books. Um, I was trying to figure out, is vampire fiction extricable from cities? Yes. Yes. Yes, because true... Yes, because True Blood is entirely, like, backwoods uh, Louisiana. But that's still urban fantasy, the genre. What what are you... Maybe I'm misunderstanding the question that you're asking. It's about people... You're asking if if it can be rural. Large numbers of people are involved. Even in backcountry Louisiana, it's not unpopulated. Mm. It's not out in the middle of nowhere. It's not quest fiction where they're traveling. It's inside of a community. Oh, I see what you're asking. Yes, but I wouldn't describe that. I wouldn't describe that as being necessary for urban fantasy. I agree. I think I would. I wouldn't describe the Sookie Stackhouse books as they're paranormal, but they're not. I wouldn't call them urban fantasy. Yeah, and I think we. I would, you know, I don't think we can argue about whether there is a set population limit after which something <laughs> becomes urban fantasy. Um, but I agree, like that idea of a smaller town where everyone's in each other's business and it is actually harder mm. to hide is, I think, distinct from an urban fantasy setting where it's very much that yes. anonymity um, and population density of mm-hmm. a large city being appealing to a vampire. Sure. So, for example, of our tent poles, uh, two of them, you might say, were urban fantasy, the... Kellen's story and the movie. Yes. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, obviously the, the Lan Fangji, as it is called, is doing something totally different. It's not really digging into that at all. It's much more of an interpersonal thing. But I think if you think back about the traditional model, mm. and again, Carpe Jugulum does some stuff with this, the lord that lives up in the mm. high manor and you know, isn't really seen and there's rumours around and sometimes a peasant disappears (laughs) from the village and is found with all of their blood missing. It's so Mm. futile. It's so much about class differences. Uh, You've got to have your lord in the manor and you have your free-range peasants running around as food supply and that sense of danger and and exploitation, the power being held by one or two people and then a larger group of people who are, yes, being exploited or ha- do not have the same powers that the vampire has or the lord yeah. has. Well, yeah, it's the, it's the, uh, we are prey. Mm-hmm. There is a predator. Mm. It also yeah. makes me think a little bit about the calculations that one does when writing historical fantasy, figuring out if one can have a standing army, because this is how many people it takes to support yeah. that many knights. <laughs> or how many people does it take to support a vampire? That's a really good question. Well, yeah. you know, it depends on the kind of vampire that you have. Like, do they do they yeah, need no, to, sure. how often do they need to drink? Do they have to drink until the person dies? Or is like a mouthful or two right. okay? Um, yeah, lots of, can they drink animal blood at all? Or no. Um, so yeah, lots of like, Different maths. maths and balances and, and so forth. Yeah, and I think, like, Carpe Jugulum is about vampire gentrification, where this <laughs> oh, family amazing. is attempting to make themselves a full part of the society by glamouring everyone into accepting them and saying, you know, we're just going to live amongst you, we'll only kill a few of you, it'll be fine, but we want <laughs> you to love us. We want you to think of us as amazing. Uh, and at the end of the book, the basically the, the village demands a return to the old ways with the old count who lived up in the castle, didn't expect to be liked, wanted to be feared, wanted to be seen mm. as a monster, only killed occasionally, 
uh, and he respected things like the stakes and the garlic and the holy symbols. You know, people could teach their children how to avoid the monster, and but and he was still thought of as a monster, and they have a problem when the monsters try to be seen as the same as everyone else and demand mm. to be loved. It's, oh, it's kind of a like a takedown of celebrity culture, right? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But we have a whole section on vampires. <laughs> here, is, here is the serpent cast Jeopardy corner. <clears throat> vampires are a metaphor for blank. Well, we've yes. mentioned class struggle so far. And capitalism. Yep, and the idea cap- of exploitative capitalism. One person sucking the resources out of a lot of people and hoarding it all for themselves. Do and vampires only be- own the means of production? It's kind Jeff of. Jeff Bezos is a vampire. Jeff well, Bezos like, is absolutely a vampire. In so many ways. Like, I'm fairly <laughs> so sure he does ways. drink children's blood. Wasn't there an article on this a while back? Oh, probably. <laughs> there was like, there's this like startup that was taking blood samples from young people and extracting some sort of serum and a bunch of the high up tech CEOs were like getting it injected. I don't sure, know. Sure, okay. I was thinking more of the inherent immorality <laughs> of being a billionaire. Okay, <laughs> let's go with serum. <laughs> Darling scribes, your task, should you choose to accept it, is to fact check Macy's bullshit. <laughs> so uh, yes, vampires are a metaphor for capitalism. Someone else have a go. Uh, we also mentioned the terror of getting old and dying. I think Macy, you talked a little bit about that earlier yes i don't even know if it's so much of a metaphor as such a like almost a direct conversation about this Mm. yeah right which is again why it shocks me that we haven't done as many women because we love insinuating that the thing women are the most scared of is getting wrinkles Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, so, like, why wouldn't you write about a lady vampire? And, like... I mean, I guess because once you make her a vampire, she can start getting revenge, and that would be bad. Because right. Because that might encourage the girls to get uppity. Right, because then she would have power, and we can't possibly let her have power, because, like, it's only her, like, youth and beauty that gives her power, and, like, we have to let her go- grow old so that she will, like, gradually lose her power. Or at least that is the theory... In actuality, like, I've never met an old lady who wasn't ferocious. But, I mean, but when this is put into narratives, it can come across as quite upsetting. Yeah. Like, the whole thing in Twilight about... I, I haven't actually read Twilight, but I have read a lot of takedowns on it, of it and listened to a lot of podcasts about it. About Bella is convinced that she has to be turned when she's 18 because she just doesn't want to get any older because she's in her prime at 18 and she just okay. wants to be young and no beautiful one is in their prime forever at and there's this three-way tension between oh i really want to have sex with you but i won't he won't have sex with her until she's a vampire because otherwise he could hurt her but we can't have sex before marriage because mormons but also you know i don't want to marry you but i want to get married as a human but i want to turn you into a vampire oh my god oh my god <laughs> anyway like a right. nightmare on so many axes of Messages you don't necessarily want young women to internalize, but anyway. But uh, complete sidebar, I'm going to sidetrack us. You have reminded me of the existence of the article which dissects the damage that Superman's sperm would do to Lois Lane. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. It's a great article, (laughs) and we should link it to anyone who hasn't read this article. Uh, Yeah, anyway. Darling Scribes, we're being very cruel to you this week. I am sorry. (laughs) Anyway. That one's easy to find. Yet another thing that uh, vampirism is a metaphor for is, like, consumption as romance. It's, like, the inherent, Mm. like, the erotic eroticness er- eroticism eroticism thank you i was like what are words the, the eroticism eroticism of vore right <laughs> the inherent yes. eroticism of vore it's like <laughs> it's, it's about like the the submission in allowing yourself to be 
consumed to be literally eaten um and then like later in the romance arc of like oh you fall in love with the vampire and at some point like the playing fields are leveled because you eat the vampire back so that you can become a vampire and now all you're doing is reminding me of the sexy jesus cult what what there's a church where you're meant to talk dirty to Jesus as your, like, way of praying. I beg your okay, pardon? So we're not just talking about, like, Catholicism in general here, right? No, like, there's a specific subcult. Right, because you have to vote. What? Anyway, darling listeners, I apologize yeah, for yeah, my no, sacrilege. Like, the whole thing with the Eucharist, the Eucharist you have to eat and... Jesus. Like, that's yeah, part yeah. of the thing. Right, the body and blood of Christ. Christ. Yeah. But there is a specific subcult called, I believe, the Brides of Christ. Okay. Who imagine themselves married to God, but in a somewhat more literal fashion than usual. And so they're encouraged to dirty talk to God. Yep. No, Are, to Jesus. Is this oh, to a Je- subset of Catholicism, or is it a whole other little wackadoodles branch of Everything the is technically an offshoot of Catholicism. Yeah, oh, this, anyway. This one sounds particularly Catholic in its, like, eroticism yeah. of, of the holy figure. Anyway. But anyway. Yes. Um, vampires as a metaphor for eating someone you love. <clears throat> Hannibal. Hannibal, yes. And it's yes. not necessarily that you then bite them back. Sometimes you have right. that existence as the food source and the source of nourishment for the loved one, which is what happens in the fanfic temple. Mm. Mm-hmm. That Wei Ying doesn't seem to want to be a vampire. He's quite happy to just go on being bitten and being a source of food and warmth for Lan Wanji. But the... And- the sort of presumed end goal, right? Like, if you're truly in love, then you want to be with each other, quote unquote, forever. And so mm. the presumed result of that relationship is that the human eventually, like, becomes a vampire themselves so that they can, like, live in darkness forever. I mean, maybe, but in that universe, you could also theorize that Wei Shan would manage to cultivate to a mortality. Oh, yeah, true. Very true. true. Yeah. Which would be a much more interesting um very like um heaven official's blessing like yeah the demon and the angel mind you it'd be fucking hilarious if lan wang ji was the demon and Wei Wu Shan <laughs> was the angel uh not to be more christian <clears throat> about it than we need to again with angels but yeah but if you want to read a lot of examination of the idea of consumption of the loved one <laughs> comma the inherent eroticism thereof Without vampires being involved, may I present Hannibal fandom? Yes. Yes. Hannibal fandom is absolutely vampire fandom. It's just that, like, nobody is a literal vampire. Except I actually wrote. I actually wrote a fanfic about blood cooking. Yes. Yes. The blood cooking. In which, yes, in which Will is like, fine, you are allowed to eat me a little bit, in that I will give blood and you may cook with it and then eat that. That's as far as we're going. No toes will be exchanged. <laughs> it was great. I had to look up all the different ways in which different cultures have used blood in cooking. There are some Marang! fantastic recipes out there. Freya, I have a question about cannibalism, which I think is only appropriate for this episode. Will you get that weird disease prion kuru? Disease? Yeah, that prion disease kuru if you eat any part of a person? Or is it specifically only if you eat their brains? It's a brain thing. Yeah. I'm pretty great. sure. So we can eat the can, rich. We no, can. You can't. You can't eat the English rich because we all have mad cow disease. Okay, so yes. not the English rich. <laughs> They're probably bland anyway. Sorry, yes. Macy. <laughs> we eat lots of mustard. Yes. <laughs> yes. Anyway, now we're also talking about no, Sweeney Ku- Todd. Kuru especially arose in a culture where the consumption of brains was uh, done for ritual reasons. Yeah, funerary and practices. 
Which my understanding yeah. was that even that that research is somewhat debated. Oh yeah, like I'm not. I'm really not enormously up on how that was discovered and what to what level the research was they actually were done. True, but <laughs> yeah. in general, and again, please don't do any crimes, listeners, especially not this kind of crimes. But in general, I don't think there is any particular medical reason why you should not be eating other humans. Just stay away from the brains. Cool. Good to know. Thank I, you. I, Eat the rich. That. <laughs> Yes, Macy. Hmm. Do you have an addition? I'm not convinced that prion diseases are the only things we need to worry about from the consumption of other beings who have infections which are cross-compatible with us. Oh, no, absolutely. Like, you need to be you know, free-range farming your nice, clean humans if you're going to be eating them. Oy vey. Again, don't do Okay, crime. well, this will go down in history as the Halloween episode in which your serpents advocate cannibalism. I mean, this would be the, yeah, if you just grabbed a random off the street, it would be the equivalent of eating roadkill. You don't know where that thing's been. Yeah, you don't know how many things have fucked that sandwich. <laughs> On which note, y'all, how much vampiring did we even talk about in this episode? Well, we had a good time, and I think that's what's important. In conclusion, darling listeners, eat the rich. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. There's something pretty bewitching about the vampire. Part of it is, of course, uh, my hot monster girlfriend thinks I'm neat. But the vampire mythos is one of those which really dwells on transformation, right? This is a genre where you have a real chance of getting to be the monster not just be seduced by them. Although, I must say, again, for the record, cannibalism is bad. It's a public health issue. Do not eat or bloodsuck the rich. You should mulch the rich and feed them to chestnut, apple or fig trees, depending on your latitude and annual rainfall patterns. Much safer and more delicious. But enough of that nonsense. We have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence on November 4th, we will be discussing splorts. With all the disastrous serpent nerdery you love and expect. If you want to prepare in advance, one of the tentpoles for that episode is the movie Bend It Like Beckham. So, if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, and wants a break from the unceasing anguish of existence that day for no particular reason specifically, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations? Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, which is linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And keep your eyes peeled for our very own Alex's very own new book, Finding Fairies, out yesterday from all respected literary retailers. And by the way, I think you'd take well to becoming an eternal creature of the Velvet Knight. It'd suit you. <laughs>